Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back on it is Eaton. To the track. To the wall. It's gone. Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center. And he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning. Welcome into this week in Rays Baseball. My name is Steve Carney, Rays, Radio, uh, Rays Insider for Rays Radio Flagship Station 620 WDAE. Pinch hitting for Neil this week. Today we catch up with Lucas Duda about his acclamation to the Rays. We will also discuss how close Nathan Ivaldi is to coming back from Tommy John surgery. We'll learn a bit more about Sergio Romo and, of course, much more. We continue on This Week in Race Baseball. Our featured guest this week is Lucas Duda. And, Lucas, first of all, welcome. You've had kind of a a couple of weeks now to get yourself acclimated. Now that you've had maybe some time to reflect, what has this all been like for you? Because it's the first time you've been outside the Mets organization. Yeah. Well, first off, thanks for having me. You know, it was uh, a bit of a whirlwind there for uh, the first couple of weeks. But uh, I think I've kind of settled in and, um, you know, enjoyed the city yeah, enjoy the fans here and, uh, you know, most of all, enjoy the teammates here. So I'm um, really looking forward to, um, you know, contributing. Um, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, helping the team win and, and making a playoff spot. I mean, that's that's why I'm here and that's our goal. What was the hardest part of of leaving, though? Because most fans have no understanding what it is. Maybe they leave for another job, but you don't get traded in real life from one place to another. You just... You decide when you're a free agent, so to speak, to move on. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's all, it's all part of the game. Um, it's part of the business, and I think the the earlier you realize that, you know, the easier easier it is and easier it becomes. Um, but it was tough, you know. I, I grew up with those guys. Um, you know, I came up with that organization, um, and from day one, you know, I can't stress enough that the 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 Mets, um, the front office, the owners um, have been first class from day one and treated me extremely well and uh you know for that i'm thankful and uh you know i I can't i can't thank them enough for 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 giving me the opportunity and you know experience uh new york new york life for a bit so it was a great opportunity um but like i said i'm happy to uh to start a new chapter and i'm excited you grew up in california you mentioned you know learning about new york you grew up in Riverside, which is where Matt Andres is from. Did you know Matt, or did he know you growing up or follow you, or did your paths cross before coming to the race? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think our paths ever crossed. Um, but, yeah, I've, uh, I'm have i a bit, I think, about two years older than him. Um, so uh, never really got to play against each other. Um, but I heard about him, you know, read about him in the newspaper and, uh, you know, realized what kind of uh, – uh, player he was and pitcher he was so um yeah it's, it's pretty cool to have a guy from uh the same area um especially riverside you know it's, it's a smaller town so uh it's, it's pretty cool it's uh most you know for the most part it's been uh it's been it's been pretty awesome so uh, i can't wait to get to know him and uh you know learn a little bit more about him Tell me what ignited your passion for baseball growing up in Riverside. When did you really become a baseball guy, and were there other sports that you played as a kid, and uh, did you ever have a choice? 
Yeah, yeah. I think I've always been a baseball kind of guy. Um, you know, I just kind of gravitated toward it. Um, I was I was always pretty good at it. Um, you know, I was, always had fun too. So uh, you know, when you're good at something and it's fun, um, it's it's a pretty good combination. So I kind of stuck with it. As for other sports, I played a little bit of everything. I played you know basketball, football, soccer, but never really good at any of them. Um, so, uh, but yeah, baseball I just kind of gravitated to. Um, were there players you emulated growing up, and did you go to Angels games? Because I know Riverside is, what, about an hour from Angel Stadium? Right, right. So a lot of people always ask me, were you a Dodgers or Angels fan? And I always say Angels just because of the proximity to Riverside. Um, as far as, you know, idolizing a player when I when I was growing up, I always, I always liked Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson, yeah. He was, uh, you know, kind of that, that mix of speed and power and, uh, you know, just an amazing athlete. And were you always a guy who played first base growing up too, or you know, believe it or not, I was I was a little faster and I was a little bit more uh, mobile. Um, and I used to play shortstop when I was a little younger and all throughout high school, and then uh, kind of hit a growing spurt and got kind of uh, uh, uncoordinated, you know, to say the least, and uh, that kind of moved me uh, to first base. Well, I think most people who get to this level are pretty coordinated in their in their own right. You you mentioned the move from California to New York. What was the hardest part? Being a, I guess a shyer guy who grew up in a in a smaller town to adjust to the New York limelight. Yeah, it was a little bit intimidating. Um, you know, first off, you know, just the bright lights in the big city. You know, you hear about it, and I don't think you can really, you know, you 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 have to experience it to to really go through it. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm very thankful for for uh, you know having that experience, and I think I've I've grew as a player and as a person. Who was most helpful of of all? You you obviously had some pretty good clubhouse guys in New York. Yeah, absolutely. I think first off is my dad. You know, he's he's the number one reason why I'm here. My parents. Um, so um, as far as you know, clubhouse goes, I've only been in one. Um, but I think that you know the likes of you know David Wright. Curtis Granderson, Carlos Beltran, um, Johan Santana. You know, it, it was uh, it was a pleasure. You know, from day one all the way to the last day, um, being you know be, even being in the same clubhouse and associated with those guys, it's uh, it means a lot to me. Uh, it probably doesn't mean a lot to them, but it, it really means uh, it means the world to me. How they helped me out, um, not just through baseball, you know, just handling yourself and and it wasn't even it wasn't even about like. You know, as as much as they were just leading by example, you know, and, uh, you know, younger guys kind of pick up on that. And uh, I realized the respect they had in the league and with their teammates. So uh, those are some pretty solid guys to emulate. And I tried to uh, probably won't do it as good as they will. But, uh, you know, that's how it goes. You mentioned, um, I think, in your Players' Tribune article that you penned Curtis Granderson. What makes him special? Can you put it into words what kind of individual he is and what makes him such a good teammate? Yeah, that's hard. That's hard because he's he's uh, he's pretty good at everything. And he's, uh, I mean, he's an unbelievable person. Um, you know, a Hall of Fame type of person. I mean, special, intelligent, witty funny i mean everything that you um you know would want to uh you know have your son be like you know curtis is that guy and that's a pretty um he's a pretty special individual to say the least you also in that article talked about adjusting to uh new york food 
Um, what do you, will you miss? What places will you miss most? And what did you kind of get a taste for that maybe you didn't in California? I think one of the things that I got to recognize about New York is, uh, you know, it's kind of a melting pot of food, culture, you know, people. So in that sense, I kind of uh, I kind of got to experience different things that I might not have been able to do in Riverside. But, yeah, it's not one particular place, you know. It's just the overall, um, it's the overall hustle and bustle. Um, it's just the overall picture um, of New York. But I wouldn't say that I would uh dying to go back there, you know. Um, I'm excited to be here in Tampa, and, uh, you know, most of all, I want to win, so. Have you found a good uh, either Chinese place or Thai place or something like that yet in the Tampa Bay area? Yeah, not too. Uh, I haven't haven't been out of the city to explore, um, but uh, I've just been kind of in and out of hotels and, and trying to get my uh, my place situated. Uh, but uh, I'm sure I'll find something. You know, there's always a good restaurant or breakfast spot in any city that you go. So, well, uh, I'd probably recommend Yummy House up in Tampa, and at least there's Hawkers, which is Asian fare across the the street from the ballpark too. Um, Tell me a little bit about um, coming here and acclimating yourself. It's known as a good place. What has it been like the first couple of weeks, and what has the group in here been like? Yeah, they've been unbelievable. Um, you know, like I said, I haven't been here too long, maybe two weeks, maybe, somewhere around there. Um, but it's been pretty. It's been a pretty easy transition from, um, you know, from cash to, to the players. They've been extremely accepting and um, supportive. And it's just an easy group to fit in. You've got guys that have been around the game a long time and know how to win. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to play my role, help the team win any way I can, and, and have some fun while we're at it. There's, um, what, 18, 20 interleague games a year, so you don't play it very often. Is it hard to learn on the fly a new league? Is it much different in terms of way, let's say, teams pitch you here than, let's say, the teams that you saw you know, every single year, like the Nationals and the and the Phillies and the Braves and the like. Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, um, you know, good pitching is good pitching. Um, it's not depending upon the league, but there's always adjustments that need to be made. Um, you face new pitchers, you face new teams. You know, from an offensive standpoint, um, you do your homework, watch video. Um, you know, see what kinds of things that you know. Uh, the pitcher likes to do in certain situations um defensively you know it's all about positioning uh, and putting yourself in a, a good spot to succeed and that that also takes some homework so it's a little bit you know it's a, it's an adjustment but uh you know that, that's what baseball is it's a it's a game of adjustments and you know i'm going to do everything i can to to produce and play well you also get the chance on occasion i know you've played first base and you've also dh'd have you picked other guys' brains? Because sometimes guys who come over from the National League, and I remember chatting about Corey Dickerson about that, you know, they have to figure out, okay, what's my routine? Because I'm used to going into the field after every at-bat. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a change. But like I said, you know, uh, you know, change is a good thing. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm open to whatever the, the situation is, whatever the uh, particular game presents, um, just to stay ready. Um, there's no doubt about it, and I think as far as DHing, you know, it's it's a, um, you know, it's it's a, it's a kind of a finding your finding your routine, finding your way. 
and it's you know it's about adjustments too. Always adjusting, adjusting on the fly. What works, what doesn't, and you're kind of trying to find that, find that rhythm. And that's uh, you know what I'm trying to do. <laughs> so, one of the reasons I know the Rays got you is obviously because they feel you can be a very productive player, and you've been that so far for the Rays. But also the fact that you know you were part of a winner and, and World Series experience. What were the best moments? in New York, on the field, and what were the best moments about the playoff experience? Well, I guess the, the playoff experience itself, I mean, um, I think once you get a taste of it, it's kind of, you know, it's almost, it's what drives you and pushes you. Um, there's there's no other, there's no other, you can't simulate it, you know, there's, there's nothing like it. It's a pretty special feeling to be out there with those guys um, that you, you know, played 162 with it's it's a different animal you know it's it's a pretty it's a pretty special thing um to say the least as far as the world series goes i mean that's like that's the top that's the pinnacle um you know we went to the world series it didn't work out the way we wanted to but you know that's that's how it goes um i felt like we played well and, and you know you just got to tip your hat that was a you know great team we ran into um they got hot at the right time but uh as, as far as playoff experience goes it's uh it's a pretty special pretty special event to be involved in and I'm very thankful that I got the opportunity and personally what are the best moments you've had as a big leaguer and why well I guess uh probably you know your first call up is a is a pretty special uh pretty special day you know all the first hit double home run whatever it is um but it's uh yeah, to to be a big leaguer and uh, to be able to be here on a daily basis is pretty special. And for that, I'm extremely thankful. And, uh, you know, I'm never complacent. I'm always working. And, uh, you know, I think for me, most of the time, complacency, well, all of the time for me, complacency um, is your enemy in this game. And once you get complacent, then you lose your edge. And once you lose your edge, you know, it's... it's um, it's tough so it's always I'm always a work in progress I'm never going to be I'm never going to be finished or you know it's always going to be a little bit rough around the edges that's who I am and I'm going to go out and have some fun um you know that's that's the main thing um and win win and have some fun I mean that's what it's all about and uh, I can't wait to to help this team any way I can well we have looked forward to watching we enjoyed watching you work and uh Enjoy your moments with this team so far, and hopefully many great moments down the stretch of this year. We certainly appreciate some time in this week in Rays Baseball. Of course. Thank you very much. Lucas Duda with us, and we continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. Rays insider Steve Carney from 620 WDAE filling in for Neil. For the sixth straight season, Evan Longoria, the Rays, and various community partners will each donate $100 to Home Run Save Pets for every home run hit by Longoria during the season. For more information on how you can get involved, go to RaysBaseball.com slash community. The Rays offense looking for some spark after a disappointing one and six week, but there is no lack of spark from the guys in the booth. And it's my favorite part of the show when we get to hear from Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun, along with our own voices of the Rays, Dave Wills and Andy Freed. Take it away, fellas. Steve, I'm glad it's your favorite part. We kind of enjoy it too. It's nice to talk to BA. And of course, Dave, I'm Andy. And all right, BA, the Rays have lost 20 of their last 29 games. Dave and I were talking about what we should go over in this segment. I can't imagine 
you saw this coming. I don't think any of us saw this coming. We were thinking maybe there was a better chance that they might have gone 20 and 9 compared to 9 and 20. You were one of the first people this year early in the season that said this is a playoff team. Well, yeah. I know it's not too late. Were there any signs, signals that this this kind of collapse was going to happen to you? I, I didn't see it. I, I don't think anybody else did. And I would have gone back, you know, 29 games ago, I would have said they're going to catch Boston. In fact, I think mm-hmm. I did say yeah. they're going to catch Boston. They were a couple of games behind them. Um, you know, have not been overly impressed with Boston. You know, you, you look at their pitching staff and you wonder if there was going to be enough there. And then on top of that, they don't hit a lot of home runs. They've got to manufacture everything that they get. And, you know, they were struggling to, to score runs. And, um, you know, I thought that this team with the – this is what I thought. Starting pitching, great. They retooled the bullpen, mm-hmm. and that bullpen now is a lockdown-type bullpen. Problem is they don't get any leads to lock down. Uh, and when you looked at the overall, you know, offensive – output of this team I thought you know they hit some home runs they do have a speed dynamic and, and Malik Smith and Kiermaier is coming back and you saw that you know kind of coming down the, the the pike but I thought that there were just too many hitters in the lineup that could be productive that yeah a couple of guys may go in the tank for a little while but that's all right there's enough there to pick them back up I never imagined that everybody for the most part, would start to slide into the tank, that the home runs would disappear, and then, oh, by the way, when you did manufacture opportunities, all the runners in scoring position, that dried up at the same time also. I don't think anybody saw a, a team that's, you know, in August scoring, you know, two and a half runs a game, maybe not even two and a half runs a game at this point. No, you know, I mean, they've done the exact opposite of what I thought was going to happen. I really did. I mean, I thought this team was really, of all the groups of uh, teams that are moshed together right now in the uh, wild card picture, the Rays were really the only team that didn't go on one of those real long 9 of 11s, uh, 15 of 20 kind of stretches, and I really thought it was going to come, and we've done the exact opposite. It's The, the, the mind-blowing part about it is the offense. I mean, uh, the starters have been pretty darn good. The relievers, I, I think the front office did a beautiful job of retooling their bullpen on the run like they did, and then, you know, you look at the offense, and I agree. I thought, well, all right, maybe Corey Dickerson and Logan Morrison are going to come back to the pack a little bit, but then Brad Miller and Wilson Ramos and Evan might get hot. And I thought, you know, again, while two people maybe t- take a step back, two or three people would take a step forward. And, and it, it's just been mind-boggling to see not just uh, three, not four, not five, but maybe as many as eight guys have really kind of uh, taken big steps back. I mean, Evan and Souza have been kind of so-so. I mean, they, they haven't really gone into the big tank like some of the other guys have, but it's just amazing. I never in my wildest dreams thought that our, di- our offense would disappear the way it has. What do you make of the fact, from a pitching standpoint, B.A., that the, the, the kinds of pitches that many of these guys were hitting earlier in the year, they're not hitting, and they're strikes. I mean, I think there have been times when they've chased out of the strike zone. Dickerson ch- chases, but that's kind of his game. He yeah. gets hits on pitches he chases. But they've been beaten on fastballs, 91, middle of the plate. That wasn't happening that much earlier in the year. Does that speak to fatigue? Does it speak to mental fatigue? What does that speak to, or is it just... I don't know, just whatever Whatever. Yeah, no one knows. It, yeah, I mean. no. You know, I think there's a couple things in play here. I, I think, number one, that w- when the offense started to struggle and mass, that all of a sudden, you know, every guy wants to be the guy that, that pulls them out of it. So maybe you start to try to do a little bit too much. Maybe other guys, uh, you know, feel like they're, they're up there gripping a little mm-hmm. bit at the plate, and so they start to relax, and maybe they relax a little bit too much. Bottom line is there's no question at this point um, that it, it had gotten mental. There's no doubt. I mean, there, there can be some mechanical issues and, uh, you know, you're chasing pitches and you're a little bit off your game. But it, 
absolutely became mental at some point, and that will take you away from being able to have success and missing pitches that you normally hit. I also think that there have been a number of adjustments made by the league mm-hmm. against hitters in our lineup, and you can see it, how they're specifically trying to pitch these guys, and they have not made the adjustment. And not only have they not made the adjustment, but they continue to expand their zone. So not only are they not you know, able to take that pitch or able to try to work a count and get it, you know, a pitch out over the plate. They they just that there have been no adjustments made or very few adjustments made. In fact, you know, Evan, well, what what are, what are you seeing? I mean, because in the Texas series, where uh, it, it all kind of seemed to get started after coming back from the road trip and went uh, four and two after taking three out of four from the uh, Red Sox right before the break. The the rumbling was in that Texas series was that. The Texas pitchers said we wanted to pitch him up and in. We wanted to give him velocity up and in. Yeah. Not allow them to get their arms extended. They like the ball down and out over the plate. That's right. We went up and in. And is that the adjustment that hasn't been made? That that's exactly what, what's going on. How many times do you see, uh, you know, a guy get ahead, you know, trying to expand the zone against Corey Dickerson and try to come up and in? You mm-hmm. know, they they want to come up and in. They want to come come up and in on on Brad Miller. How about Toronto? Even Toronto, some of the starters they ran out there that were throwing 88, 89 miles an hour, which in this day and age, that, that stands out because there aren't many of them. Yep. And pounding Steven Souza Jr. in. I mean, in on his hands with 88, Busted 89. Yep. And they're not afraid to go in there one pitch after the other. I mean, they really do. This team is built on hitting a lot of home runs. Obviously, they were you know at the top of the league for most of the season. They've fallen a little bit back now because that's dried up. But guys that want to hit home runs, they want to catch the bottom of the ball. They want to create spin, carry, get the ball in the air. And so they want to get those arms extended. They want something down and out over so they can get to and then lift. And so everybody has been challenging them with elevated heaters, and they have not been able to lay off at all. And it leads to pop-ups, swing-throughs, um, quick at-bats. It's always easy in baseball over 162 games to get lost and to have perspective laws. Like I can remember during the Yankees series, the ball that went away from Beckham and Echeverria, and those first three games hearing people saying, it's over for the Rays, there's no coming back. And I was trying to keep my head at the time and saying, guys, in a couple of weeks that series is going to seem like a long time ago. Now it does. However, much as I want to keep perspective and much as I want to say they're still in this thing, are they still in this thing? They're only four games back with, what, 30, 30-some games to go. The problem is the amount of teams that yeah. they'd have to jump over. The good news is they're going to be playing a lot of those teams, but this is going to have to be one heck of a turnaround. But big picture, it's not too late, is it? <laughs> That's what I keep trying to tell myself, right. And uh, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that if I was one of the teams that were in the number one or number two spot in the wild card looking at where the Rays are, mm-hmm. I mean, you're five games under 500 with 40, less than 40 games to go. I wouldn't even be counting the Rays right now if yeah. I was on the other side of things. But uh, from the home stand uh, or the home team standpoint, I am looking for this team to still get hot. I know we're looking for a couple of guys to get kind of toasty. But, uh, you know, we, we've really dug ourselves quite the hole. And it's really disappointing because of the fact that I thought we did have kind of a very entertaining first half of the season. Uh, I thought we came out of the All-Star break uh, really, really well and uh, won those uh, four of the six games on that road trip. The the mind-boggling thing for me, B.A., is the struggles here at Tropicana Field for this team. And again, I don't know what it is, if it's all just kind of coming together because we aren't hitting and we play in this particular ballpark. But, you know, before the All-Star break, we started to play well. We, we made this place a home field or a dome field advantage. And then since then, we have been awful in this ballpark. And I, again, I don't know if it's fatigue uh, or what. We were trying to figure this stuff out back in the, the Joe Madden days when guys would have big numbers on the road 
road and poor numbers here at Tropicana Field. I mean, it, it can't be that bad of a place to hit. It's not that hard to hit home runs here. I mean, it's a fair ballpark. Do you have any idea why you think we've been struggling here at home? I mean, uh, compared to on the road, I mean, how, how different as a former ball player uh, that had family? I mean, how different is it when you're on the road as opposed to when you're at home? Well, you, you know what? The difference there is when you go on the road, you almost have a bunker mentality. It's us against the world. You know, you're in your hotel. You're with your teammates all the time. Um, you're going into hostile environments. So there is that circle the wagons type of mindset that, that goes into, you know, to playing on the road. Um, and, and, you know, it's different than, than obviously playing at home. But I will say this. As a visiting player, I, I got to be honest with you, no visiting player, they may look forward to coming to Florida. They're not looking forward to coming to Tropicana Field. They, they don't, you don't want to play here. You don't. It was like the Metrodome with Minnesota Twins. You just didn't want to go there. So there's no excuse that, that this should not be one of the biggest home field advantages Agreed. in the game because you, you, you have guys that don't want to be here. And so you just beat their brains in, and, and you move on. And, and the fact that that hasn't happened and it has been a, a, a recurring problem is strange to me because it, this should be a place where the, the guys come in, they take their beating, and you send them on their merry well, way. We don't even well, we don't hit here. I mean, I know. Been well, shot out ten times, nine of them here at Tropicana Field. That, that's what I can't figure out. Yeah, no, that that makes no sense because, like you said, I, I mean, this is a this is a you know a pitcher's fair ballpark. If you're going to hit a home run, you're going to hit it. I mean, you're going to get a hold of it, and it's going to have to go. But these guys are perfectly capable. You, you know, I, I I don't understand that either. And that's one of those. I mean, I knew that that we had been blanked, uh, you know, quite a few times. But I could not believe, no, I believe it, it was nine was out of ten. I know that big cluster happened all at once, where Milwaukee was, you know, pitching, you know, throwing out of their mind, and Chris Sale and Boston, everybody else. But that is uh, that's just inexcusable, really. What is the challenge now for Kevin Cash, the coaching staff, and these players to to guard against the "woe is me" yeah. uh, mentality, to guard against the "here we go again" mentality of something? bad happens in the early part of the game. I think Kevin has held it together pretty darn well. I think better, in fact, than the first two years. I think last year he was getting worn out with a 68-94 season. I still sense a lot of energy coming from him. The manager does set a tone in this moment does he not? You've played for yes. excellent experienced managers. I think of Buck Walter, Mike yep. Hargrove, and on and on. When slumps are happening, whether players say it or not, they are looking to the manager to set the tone. There's no question about it. And that's why the body language has to be good. You have to be upbeat. You can't manufacture and fake stuff because mm -hmm. guys will see through that too. But that's where you need to be. That's why this game, I'm telling you, the consistency. You know, don't get too high, don't mm -hmm. get too low. There's a reason that that cliche matters, and, and it, you know, you factor it into things. But you, you just have that consistent demeanor because when things are going poorly, you there is a tone set from the front end of that dugout from all the coaches that are up there. And that's why they've got to stay engaged. They've got to stay positive. The body language has to be good. It, it just has to just set that tone and, and, and then let it, you know, flow downhill from there into the players. And... Um, the, the thing that you've got to guard against is the the woe is me the here we go again that's the that's the toughest thing to you know for an individual player and for a coaching staff to make sure that that doesn't happen because you know one thing goes poorly like as soon as you know Mitch Haniger hit that uh, home run the grand slam yep. yesterday all of a sudden you could just feel that just deflated now the, the comeback at the end I don't know. Maybe that's the you first sign. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe that's the first sign because I will say this: being down, what were they, seven to two, seven to two? It would be easy for the Rays and the role that they've been on in a negative way to just roll over, to really just, you know, cash it in, 
it's another game that we're going to lose and just, you know, and not not give up, but just kind of go through the motions the rest of the game. But they kept fighting back, you know, seven to five, and then Morrison seven to six. They gave themselves a chance, and that speaks a lot to the resiliency of this club. And you hope that that's the springboard, really. Let me ask you one final question before we have to get going here, though. But do you think the fact that everybody has struggled gives this team a chance to really get on a run? If every, I mean, obviously, if everybody gets hot. Yeah. But I mean, if we were just depending on one or two guys to get hot the final six weeks of the season, I think it would be a little bit tougher. So, I mean, everybody's due, and maybe they all do come together, and that's how this team gets on an incredible run. But uh, right. it doesn't have to happen, but we can only hope it does. <laughs> I like what you're thinking. We, we have options. We don't have to just go to one or two guys. we got lots of options to get hot, so they got a chance. All right, Brian Anderson over on the TV side today. Dave, thank you. I'm Andy. And, uh, hey, thanks for having us. That's our roundtable. we got race <laughs> baseball coming up in a little bit, but now back to this week in race baseball with Steve Carney. Thank you so much, Andy. And before we continue here on This Week in Rays Baseball, let's pause 10 seconds for station identification along the Rays Baseball Network. This is Tampa Bay Sports Radio. This one's on its way. Thank God! 620 WDAE St. Petersburg and 95.3 FM, home of the Rays. Steve Carney, Rays Insider for Rays Radio Flagship 620 WDAE, filling in for Neil this week on This Week in Rays Baseball. Own a piece of Tampa Bay Rays history with the purchase of unique game-used and autographed memorabilia. These items are also excellent gifts to celebrate any special occasion. For more information, go to RaysBaseball.com slash gameday. All proceeds benefit the Rays Baseball Foundation. Reliever Sergio Romo has certainly added some character to the Rays bullpen, and Neil had a chance to speak with him, and he learned a bit more about his hometown of Brawley, California, which is just a half an hour from the border to Mexico. Uh, well, Brawley, it's, uh, it's a farming community. You know, uh, it, it's known for uh, the agricultural fields that are around there. You know, it's, it's a very open ground. It's pretty much desert, you know, uh, a lot of ir- like local irrigation systems and stuff like that. You know, uh, you, there's, there's some good quail hunting out there, too. You know, uh, I've heard. Uh, I haven't quite been out there myself. Uh, we're 30 minutes uh, west of the sand dunes in Glamis, so it's, that's, you know, a lot of uh, dune buggies and, you know, dirt bikes, that type of stuff you see out there. Uh, I myself grew up BMXing, you know, and my bike was, uh, me and my buddies, and uh, our bike was our, our way of transportation, you know, and uh, for me, uh, baseball was, was my way out. You know, I never thought that I was, not for one second, am I ever better than Brawley or the Valley where I'm from. I've never, ever thought that. I just, I've always thought that what I wanted to achieve in life, what I wanted to do for myself, I had to, it was a little bit bigger than Brawley. You know, I had to venture out and I had to, you know, see what life, you know, was throw up, throw my way. So, uh, again, I've had some great experiences in life, even within that, you know, the, what, the ones that people consider negatives, they were, uh, they were definitely uh, life lessons, you know, and uh, a lot of that I'm thankful for the Valley and Brawley based on the fact that, you know, they, they taught me how to be tough, you know, taught me how to uh, to to persevere, to, to, to sit there and stand up for myself, you know what I'm saying? Like, gave me a sense of identity, like, this is who I am, this is where I'm from, this is what we're made of, you know, there's it's it's, it's a lot of blue-collar people out there, they definitely work their hind, you know, their, their rear ends off, so to speak, and uh, it's... It's definitely a place to see. You know, there's there's not a whole lot, but at the same time, it, it's pretty cool to see how cool the, the, the whole community really is. 
How do you try and give back? Because I know that you and several others, when you were with the Giants, were very charitable in terms of your involvement. Uh, me going back, it, a lot of it, it, it I spend that uh, with my high school coach. I, I use him a lot still because he's still coaching at Brawley High. And uh, I go through him. I, I speak to the kids. I go down there, especially uh, where my kids live in Yuma, Arizona, which is an hour east. Uh, I spend down there, too. Uh, when I'm out there with my sons, I'm out there helping coach. I'm helping out there, you know, just talking to the kids. Uh, I go back to the local junior college as well, uh, Arizona Western. That's where I went. Uh, uh, so uh, it, it's pretty cool for me to, to know that I'm welcomed and 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 received in, in the ways that I have back home, especially uh, even also in Yuma. It, it, it's pretty cool to know that they have an example ahead of them that, uh, you know, anything's possible. And it has been, and you've been quite successful at it. You also have a reputation, as I mentioned, for having a lot of fun. Romo bombing has become part of that, too. How did that start? When was the first time you did it, and why? Oh, goodness. I have. I don't know the first time I did it, but I did do it to uh, Amy G., Amy Gutierrez. She's the, uh, the uh, local uh, reporter for the Giants and uh, on-field reporter for the Giants. And so she's... Uh, I don't know how it really started. I, in all reality, I think just seeing the red light on the camera and then all of a sudden the silliness just came out. I couldn't tell you why, but the red light turns on. I just can't control it. But it's kind of fun. I've gotten from you know all the guys on the Fox Networks in the playoffs. I've gotten guys from ESPN, uh, even Aaron Andrews. I got her. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I've I've gotten teammates, of course. You know, plenty of times. You know, from Buster Posey, Matt Cain, to Panda. You know, to uh, uh, Lindsey Gunn. I mean, I've, I even got, uh, I even got uh, Benjamin Molina in ten. So I think it started in ten. <laughs> so I'm gonna say, yeah, probably in ten. Thinking about it, it's probably when it started. It's just uncontrollable. I just, I'm sorry. The red light turns on, and I don't know what to do sometimes. <laughs> and, and you've had also fun. You've helped take over the. Uh, we follow Lucas Studio Instagram too. <laughs> I would assume it's helped the two of you acclimate to, to new teammates a little bit, too? Uh, it definitely has. You know, uh, Duda has long had the reputation of being one of the nicest guys in the league. You know, he's he's very soft-spoken. He's not loud at all. But when he talks, you definitely listen because he's got good stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, great sense of humor. You know, I'm not too sure how much he likes being followed by the uh, by the camera, so to speak. Uh, I've I've caught him a couple times, and he's just letting me, he's let me know, hey, last that's the last time. I'm like, oh well, I don't want to get beat up by the nicest guy in the league. Uh, <laughs> uh, to, needless to say, I've uh, I've mentioned uh, I've messaged uh, Granderson a couple times to let him know that I. I'm trying, but uh, if something were to happen, uh, it's his fault. <laughs> You've had, obviously, some great fun moments on the field and some great moments in terms of winning championships. What's the best moment for you and why? To be honest, uh, one of the blessings I've had in baseball is I was able to experience an all-star game in 2013. I took my dad and my oldest son with me, and it was pretty awesome to have three generations out watching the home run derby on the field and being able to experience that. But the reason why I bring that up is because that moment had nothing to do with me. One of the best moments in baseball for me. Uh, when Mariano got announced out of the bullpen during that game in City Field, that's not his home field, but it's New York still, uh, there wasn't a person sitting in their seat in that whole stadium. If anybody appreciates baseball in any aspect, form or fashion, there's no way you couldn't have the hair standing up, your chills. To understand the 
magnitude of the moment uh, to watch him come out. They played his song, they, and here comes Sandman. I mean, he's entering like a champ, and here we are, just blown completely away by the moment. And you talk about just being a fan of the game. That was that was a great moment for me. You know, I, I mean, I've got to see Randy Johnson's 300th win. I got to see Hudson and PV get 2,000 strikeouts. I got to see Linscombe's two Cy Youngs, Buster's MVP, uh, Rookie of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year, like Bumgarner's uh, performances in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, uh, I got a chance to close a World Series. I mean, there's so many uh, moments and experiences, but I tell you what, just getting an opportunity to shake Mariano's hand and being part of what was his farewell tour, especially in the All-Star game, that, that was a great moment for me. Well, pretty cool stuff. You've been part of a lot of great moments and hopefully some great ones here with Tampa Bay. We appreciate some time on This Week in Race Baseball. No, thank you. Uh, this has been a great ride. I'm appreciative of also the fans, and, you know, the way they've uh, received me and come out and uh, just enjoy the fact that uh, I myself enjoy the fact that I'm a baseball player, you know, and I get to play and live this life. So I'm thankful for that. Thank you. It's easy to enjoy and appreciate the passion that Sergio Romo has for the game and what he's brought to the bullpen. Coming up, we'll talk to another pitcher who may still contribute to the Rays bullpen this year, Nathan Ivaldi, on his way back from Tommy John surgery on This Week in Rays Baseball, coming up on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball, and our featured guest this week is Nathan Ivaldi. Nathan, first of all, thanks very much for joining us. Um, how's it gone for you this year as, as you rehab from Tommy John? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I mean, it, it's gone, I think, better than we could have asked for. We haven't had any issues whatsoever. Uh, you know, everything's coming along perfectly. Now, most fans don't know how this one came about. This is actually your second, right? You had to deal with it in high school, too. So can you compare the two situations? Yeah, my first one was in high school. I was a junior. It was in 2007, and then I heard it last year in, uh, in August. I tore my flexor tendon and my, or I partially damaged my UCL uh, with this my second Tommy John surgery. I mean, the comparisons with both of them, there it's night and day difference, really. Uh, you know, in high school, I didn't really, you know, I didn't have a team invested in me or anything like that. So it was rehabbing with a, you know, a ther or you know, a local therapist, and they were, they did an amazing job. I recovered good. I didn't have any issues with that one. And then this year, it's been a little bit more complicating, just for the fact that it's my second one. Has obviously you have a tremendous passion for the game to to bounce back from this twice. Tell us how you ended up picking the Rays because the other complicating factor was you were a free agent in all of this too, and you had to decide, okay, how am I going to rehab? Who am I going to rehab with? Yeah, um, I mean, the Rays showed interest uh, kind of right away, and they continue to show interest. And you know, just by playing the game, you hear about other teams and stuff. And I had heard the training staff that they have here with the Rays is really uh, unlike any of the others around the game as opposed to getting guys healthy and making sure that they're healthy and there's no rush and urgency of getting them back on the field. It's a matter of, uh, you know, making sure they're 100% and going out there and being able to perform to their best potential. How has that lived up to the expectations in terms of what you were hearing and then now you experience it the last, I guess, six, seven months? Yeah, I mean, it was everything that I had heard about. Uh, I mean, the staff here is unbelievable um it's just day in day out they don't let you skip anything they make sure like even on the days that you don't really feel like doing stuff that you get it in and then the days that you do feel like doing stuff you're not doing too much uh you know 
all of the guys here, they they are truly, uh, you know, unreal. I mean, it, it's it's a blessing to have them here. How about the players? Um, because Chase Whitley was with the Yankees, and he went through this procedure, and Alex Cobb has. So there are guys who've gone through this before, and I don't even know if you talked to Johnny Venters when he had been down in Port Charlotte for a long time before moving to Montgomery. No, I, I never got a chance to talk to Johnny, but, uh, I mean, you see you see how the year Cobb's having, you see what Whitley's been able to do up here, and, uh, you know, I, I think that just goes to show that the hard work pays off, and, you know, working with these guys, they know exactly what they're doing, and they have a game plan, and, you know, it's... It may change at times, but they they do a great job of getting it back out there on the field. Conversationally, though, which players have um, have been really good in terms of helping you through the process? Because this is you know this is mm-hmm. it, you're doing it individually, but it certainly helps to have guys who can help you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, like you said, I mean it's, it's probably uh, Cobb and Whitley just because they're here in the clubhouse. I mean, I've I've gone through one, so I have an idea of you know. I know all the procedures and everything that comes with it, but it's just it's just nice to be able to talk to them and say like you know, were you feeling sore at this point? You know, uh, I think with Cobb with his rehab, like he said he was sore throughout the entire thing. Like I mean, there were times he had to go get a second opinion, and then with Whitley, he felt great throughout the entire thing. So I mean, it was just a little difference right there. Uh, but I mean, I haven't really had any issues with mine, so it was more you know just being able to talk to both of them and see their opinions and how they were feeling at this point. What goals do you set for yourself the remainder of this year? What do you What do you hope to accomplish? You know, it's hard. It's really hard to answer that. I mean, my initial goal was set out to uh, to be able to come back and pitch this year, for sure. But you you have to be smart in that decision. I mean, it's such a long process, and we're getting down towards like the last bit of the season, and it's hard to you don't want to push yourself. You know, it's almost like you have to be selfish in a way because you don't want to do anything to jeopardize your future. But then again, you want to be able to help the team. So, I mean, my main goal is still to, you know, try and come back this year. If everything works out correct, uh, you know, if the time comes when I have to rehab down in the minors and go through that process, making sure that I'm 100% and there's no fatigue at all. Does Would that also create peace of mind, too, going into the next year? Some guys say they want to pitch at the end of the year just so they go into what you call a normal offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm ready. I feel like I'm – uh, at that stage where I can pitch, I don't feel like I have to face hitters. I, I feel mentally strong and uh, that I'm capable to go in next, into next year and be able to pitch and not have any not have any issues. Um, our batters here, they like to come and stand down in our bullpens a lot, so it's nice just to have a hitter in the box. And if you're able to execute with a hitter standing in the box, I feel like you can execute when they're swinging too. We're chatting with Nathan Ovaldi again on This Week in Rays Baseball. You know, you mentioned the team and, and, and the guys and who's been helpful. You also got to go on a road trip, too. How, how much did that help you, too, to just be around the team, not only at home, but also on the road, too? And what did it mean that the organization did that? Yeah, I was able to make uh, two trips so far this year. I mean, they've both, you know, been to see uh, my doc, Dr. Ahmad, who's out there in New York. So I made those trips. And, and you know, it's just nice. It's a different atmosphere when you're able to uh, go out there and be on the road with the team. Uh, a lot of the times the families don't travel out there, so you get to spend a little bit more time with the, you know, your teammates on the road as opposed to just at the field. So it's it's nice to get out, especially when we're here rehabbing all the time and uh, coming in early in the morning and then we have the afternoons free. It's nice to have a, you know, a schedule on the road as well. What have you learned about yourself during this whole process? Because it, it is uh, a challenging, you know, long period. Um, I mean, it's just, it's a long, steady grind. I mean, you, you have those days where you, you're feeling great and you want to push it, but you can. And then you have those days where, uh, 
you know, you have to be pushed and you have to grind through it. Um, I'd, I'd probably just say patience, being able to stay patient and uh, trying to focus on the positives, whether, I mean, it could be a little thing, but try and turn that into a bigger positive and not focus so much on the negatives. I remember some conversations I had with Matt Moore when he went through this, with Alex Cobb and, and, and Chase too, and we talked about how do you watch the game now? Do you watch it differently? Do you think do you start thinking, okay, I'm going to either change or I want to be this way when I come back, or how, how have you kind of watched the game? Yeah, I think it's uh, when you're watching the game from the side, it's just about how you attack, how you know you really lock in on other pitches of how they're attacking the hitters and kind of their sequences and stuff. I don't really want to change necessarily uh, the way I pitch, but just a few of the sequences I, I want to start adding in there. How's your family been? I know you've got a young child. Has it, have they been around the whole time? And how much does that help to, to have that getting away from the field? Yeah, I mean, they've been here the entire time. They've gone home maybe two or three times. But, uh, you know, I have, you know, my wife and I have a little boy. It's been, you know, it's been amazing just to be able to spend time with them out here. Uh, if they weren't here, it'd be so much harder for me because, you know, when we're on the road, I stay back. Or when the team's on the road, I stay back, and then I get to spend all day with them. So, I mean, we, we definitely get to spend uh, some more family, you know, time, quality time together and uh, do some more activities that we, you know, usually wouldn't be able to do during the season. So it's been it's been great having them around more. I guess a small blessing. I mean, you look at the negative, but there is some positive to watch your son grow up a little bit more when you probably wouldn't. Exactly. I mean, it's a huge blessing just to have them around all the time and the activities, getting to watch him grow more. I mean, it's crazy when you have a young one and you go on the road and they don't travel with you in those 10 days, you come back and you're like, you feel like he's grown two or three inches. And it's like, and then, you know, she, my wife's around him all the time and she doesn't notice it, but you notice all the tiny things. And then now it's, it's been amazing just to watch him grow and develop. Is he more like you or more like your wife? And, and in what ways? Uh, I think he's more like me, just kind of running around everywhere and full of energy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you grew up in, in Alvin, Texas. Um, where is home now, and what was Alvin like growing up for you? Um, we're just outside of Alvin now. We're in Friendswood. It's about 20 minutes away from there. So my wife and I, we met in high school, so all of our family is in Alvin or right there in that area. So we can't. I, I feel like we can't really move away from home. Uh, all the family's there, and uh, you got to be around them for the, in the, for the holidays and in the off-season. But growing up in Alvin, I mean – I feel like it was just any other city, small town city. Uh, a lot of activities, you know, swimming, sports in the or you know, sports when the, during the school year when the school year is over, and just staying active. Were you always a baseball guy? And if not, what else did you have to come to to decide baseball is my thing? No, I think baseball was always my passion. Uh, starting at a little age, we I played basketball, baseball, and that was pretty much it. Did track a little bit in uh, junior high. But when it came down to it, my coach in high school was he was pretty adamant about having you play one sport. And for me, it was baseball. There was no doubt about it. So, Who did you grow up watching? Who did you emulate as a, as a kid? Um, you know, I really didn't grow up watching too much baseball. Uh, we went, you know, I was a big fan of the Houston Astros. You know, you had the Killer Bees, Berkman, Bagwell, Biggio. Uh, it wasn't necessarily just about the pitching, but... Yeah, I mean, my dad and I, we went to a lot of the games in the Astrodome and then, you know, in Ron Minute Maid when they changed the names. But, uh, yeah. Best memories? I mean, were you usually an upper deck guy? Or were you down at lower level trying to get autographs as a kid? What do you remember? Yeah, well, I mean, we were upper deck, and uh, we 
try and get down the third base line a lot of the times, and we'd go out there early for the batting practices and try and get foul balls and, you know, autographs and stuff like that. And it's good to hear from Nathan Ivaldi. Hopefully his rehab continues to go well, and perhaps we could see him in the Rays bullpen sometime before the end of this season, but definitely for the start of 2018. As you may remember, Ivaldi from his time with the Yankees or the Miami Marlins with that really heavy fastball and a guy that uh, definitely was uh, a big part of both the Yankees and Marlins rotations, and maybe we could see him coming out of the bullpen. We thank him and all the guests on today's show, first baseman Lucas Duda, also reliever Sergio Romo, and of course the best part of the week, the roundtable between Fox Sports Suns Brian Anderson and our own voices of the Rays, Dave Wills and Andy Freed. If you ever have something that you want to hear on the show, you can always tweet Neil at Neil Solons as uh, he is always putting stuff together for Jason Barringer producing today. This has been This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Steve Carney, Rays Insider for 620 WDAE. Stay tuned as we have the Rays pregame show and then first pitch at 110 coming up here on the Rays Radio Network.